Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. The 3-1 pitch, and he lifts a high fly ball into deep right center. Gone! Tommy Edmond, what a series he's had. It's a double today, and now a two-run homer in his second home run in the series. Cardinals back on top. Oh, what a play here. From his knees, got him to stretch it first by Goldie. One of the most remarkable plays you'll see on both. Fly ball to right field. Did he do it? Yoshi Tsutsugio has walked it off. Unbelievable. Four, three bucks. Unbelievable is right. How did that happen as the Pirates had three consecutive hits midway through? That's what they had. Three consecutive hits midway through until... The ninth inning, and the Cardinals somehow managed to split that series while basically dominating the four games of the series. But that's baseball. doesn't matter. So the Cardinals had a chance. They were a couple outs away from, uh, what, one out away, I guess, from going to Cincinnati with uh, being back two and a half in the wild card, and they cough up that game. A lot to get into, obviously. John Morris will be our guest. He works in the front office for the uh, Cincinnati Reds and a former Cardinal. Really good pinch hitter in his time. You may recall he was traded for Lonnie Smith in 1985, so we'll catch up with John Morris. But uh, very, very tough loss yesterday for the Cardinals. Running out of time, three and a half out, going to Cincinnati. Good morning, BK. Good morning, Dan. We always talked about the schedule and this stretch and the schedule was not kind to the Cardinals against the Braves at the time they were under 500 the Royals Pirates Tigers and if you include the three game set against the Brewers the Cardinals finished that stretch with a 13 and 11 record they were four and five in their last nine games against the Pirates and Tigers this is what mm. they had to take advantage of and they were not able to do so. And Mike Schilt had plenty of great quotes that I'm sure we'll get into, Dan, over the weekend. Uh, one of them was basically, we played four games, we played 36 innings, and we went two and two because of two of them. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. They were miserable in one inning on Thursday and ended up last night not being able to complete the job in the ninth. So Reynolds leadoff walk. I didn't like the 3-2 pitch on that when you're up two, two runs and you're going with a slider, threw it in the dirt. Now Reynolds had homered against uh, Reyes a couple of weeks ago at PNC, and I, I'm assuming they were trying to stay away, obviously, from that fastball, but still don't like it up by two. Moran strikes out swinging. Uh, then Stallings, the walk. You cannot walk Jacob Stallings, period. When you're up two runs in the ninth, you can't walk anybody. And this goes to the bigger picture when I hear that Alex Reyes wants to start, and I love his stuff. Who doesn't? Um, but you can't walk this many people. And he was able to get away with it in the first half. He's not getting away with it now in the second half, and the numbers bear that out. I think he's allowed runs in six of his last nine appearances. And I would think going forward, I said this on the crossover, you're running out of time. And 
the the situation now is to the point where, and the three batter minimum does curtail this to a point, but you're going to have to go with matchups more so than saying this is the seventh, this is the eighth, this is the ninth. And now your big three have turned into the big two, which is TJ McFarland and Luis Garcia. Those two guys have been nails. Do they get higher leverage situations going forward? I'd put it on the table right now. And if there's a save situation tonight, I got to look at who's up. Is it righty, lefty, and I'm going matchups. And I got to look at that before I think about Reyes. And maybe Alex Reyes is the best option that is presented to me. However, I may have to go in different directions when the back end of the ninth uh, and the back end of games comes up. The TJ McFarland usage has been puzzling to me at times, Dan. Um, He, in the last, so this is dating about a week and a half now. Here's his pitch count in some of the games. 5, 9, 12, 2. I think he can go a little deeper than that. You go back even further. 10, 13, 13, 10, 11. I know that they, they're utilizing him in a way that works, right? They're getting quick outs, ground into double play situations because of his sinker ball. He's able to get those ground balls. It's It's been effective. But he's one of your best relievers right now. And if you're going to go into these final month plus of the season these games you've got to have those guys getting in the highest leverage situations and that might mean like over the weekend tj mcfarland going one and two thirds innings you might need more of that out of him same thing for luis garcia those guys have to be able to be used more often than they have been thus far. i'd have to look and he did extend garcia two innings yesterday now he was going to pinch hit for him with new bar and then they had the uh situation where the uh, play was uh, challenged and then you could send him back out for the second inning. So you did have that. I'd have to look at where McFarland's spot comes up in some of those times. And I'm with you. I There are times when I watch even with the big three this year where I'd rather see them just extended another inning. You know, there are times that Henesis Cabrera's had a six-pitch inning, and I'm like, just bring him back out yep. for the eighth. And I understand it's kind of the, the formula that's worked many times, seven, eight, and nine, to go Cabrera, Gallegos, Reyes. But there are other times where when you do that, too, you also buy another guy a day off. And then maybe tomorrow that guy that gives you two is off the next day. And that so. might be good for him. I, I think some of these times, instead of going three out of four or back to back, maybe it would be better to give you two innings on that one day, have a full day off the following day where they know they're not going to be utilized. And then you're able to make it work that way. I think it could work. Yeah, I, it's baseball. It's debatable sure. for sure. And uh, again, though, I'd have to look at how. McFarland has been used in terms of where his spot in the lineup comes up. But I'm with you. I'd, I'd extend him. And I understand what he's trying to do. Like in game one, he came in in relief of Michaelis with runners at first and third. And what did he get? Ground ball, 6-4-3, yep. double play. And, and now you kind of regroup, reassess, and say, okay, he got out of it. Though That inning is through. And now the way we want to set this up is to get to 7-8-9. Um, but, yeah, it's debatable with all those things. Now back to Mike Schilt. Uh, he talked about the, the tough losses in particular yesterday. We don't have a lot of margin for error is what is probably a big part of this. And, you know, we, we do all these little things right. And they, you know, it's, but we don't we just don't create a lot of margin for error. We did last night and tonight we weren't able today. We weren't able to and it bit us. So, um, you know, I don't really know what more to do to get out of this group. I think this group's playing as good at baseball as you can play. And unfortunately, you know, the game's not always, always fair, you know, and, uh, their side's trying too, and you, you know it's hard to control every single aspect, every single inning, every single game. And for the most part, we did it for four days, and I can't ask for much more. So, how about the four days? How did you assess it? You know, we split the series and played it as good a baseball as you can almost play. Two bad innings. Yep, 
and he's right. He had the eight runs scored with not recording it out in game one. Things fell apart. You win game two, win game three, and played really well in game four. Um, now, on the flip side, I'll give the uh, bullpen of the Pirates some credit to keep them in that game yesterday. They easily could have folded. I mean, that's a bad team. They, they don't fired hit. their hitting coach. Did you see this? I didn't see it yet, but they, they do not hit, man. That's not a good lineup. It's not a good lineup. I don't think it's the fault of the hitting coach that it's a bad lineup, but they decided after splitting a series against the Cardinals in which a big reason why they won two of those games was because the lineup kept fighting late. They decided to fire their hitting coach. So welcome to Pittsburgh. But you're, you're right, Dan. It, they deserve credit on the other side of things. But man, that is just such a deflating weekend for the Cardinals because nobody else in this wild card situation wants to have that no. second wild card. Nobody. The Reds haven't played great lately. The Padres have been abysmal of late. Um, everybody that is around the Cardinals is also losing. Go back about two weeks now in that stretch that I just talked about where the Cardinals have been struggling. So has everybody else. You've actually technically Phillies. gained. You've gained a half game yeah. in the wild card standings since the start of the Brewer series, which seems impossible given the way that the Cardinals have played. But that tells you everything you need to know about how these other teams are playing, too. I mean, the only thing I can think of why you fire your hitting coach and again they are not a good offensive team is that you had bases loaded nobody out scored one run yesterday and maybe that's uh, a, an example of what's been happening all se you know season long it's not after just one game does key brian hayes get along with your hitting coach sure. you know those are the kind of things that you ask and they have so many new faces and guys that they're just trying to figure out are is cole tucker a major league player is Sutsugo a guy that we can count on going forward? Is That bleeping guy, by the way. He's killed the My Cardinals. God. Is Chavis, who was a, a first-round pick by the Boston Red Sox when Ben Sherrington was there in 14 um, and now with the Pirates, is he a guy that you think, okay, we can build around? Does Brian Reynolds like him? That's why you fire your hitting coach with a month to go, even though you're going to have another losing season. It's not a scapegoat. It's about what do we think that this guy can help us going forward? So... Thinking of the wild card here, Dodgers are in. We know that. It's just a question whether or not they're going to be the wild card or the uh, division winner. And then you have Cincinnati. Cincinnati leads San Diego by a game and a half. By the way, the Padres did not play yesterday. It was a two-game series with the Angels. That was weird. What major league team doesn't play on a weekend? Now, I understand when you have like an – I don't even like this. When you have an opening day on a Thursday and you take Friday off because you got to hope for weather. But you're in August and you don't play on a Sunday? Weird. I, I can't remember who it is, but there's a team in, I think it's the wild card race, or maybe it was the Braves, that have back-to-back -back days off that are scheduled. Really? I can't remember who it is. I'll have to go like double two check. two in a row? Yeah. It was like a Wednesday, Thursday, and then they started a three-game set on the weekend. I'll have to see if I can find it. It was a weird thing I saw, and I couldn't figure out why. That is odd. But a Sunday off in Major League Baseball? Weird. So the uh, Padres game and a half back. Cardinals stay three and a half out. Phillies four. Mets are now seven. We're going to talk about the Mets and their fans and Baez and Lindor uh, later in the show. That's a bad situation up in New York. Any way you want to couch it, it's bad. Not good. Um, so the Cardinals go in tonight. They got John Lester against Luis Castillo. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, if um, if you look at what's happening, the uh, the, Car the Reds, if, if I, my numbers are correct, if they play 500, Cardinals play six above 500 the rest of the way with six head-to-head -head against the Reds. They'd either tie or or win the or win that wild card, whatever it is. But yeah, Cardinals need to go twenty and thirteen down the stretch. There you go. So you know, 
hey, makes it, you know what, we're at least still talking about it. But, man, yesterday would have helped going into a little momentum into this series. Yeah, no for question sure. About it. And I, I think this is one where, I mean, at a minimum, you got to take two out of three. And I know we've been saying this all along, but it it becomes even more urgent when you're going up against the team that is directly ahead of you in the race. They've got a real opportunity here, Dan. And I know it doesn't feel that way, given what this weekend was like and really given what the last three weeks, two weeks have been like for the Cardinals. But you're three and a half back. You've got a chance to be able to make the playoffs this year. And any time that you can play in postseason baseball, that is meaningful, whether it be for the young players or just because playoff baseball is fun to watch. Like I, I'm excited for this series. Less excited about John Lester being matched up against Castillo. Not a great matchup for the Cardinals there, but uh, it, it's a it's a really big series for this team if they want any chance of actually being able to sustain some sort of winning. So, um, you know, our buddy Chip Carey. Absolutely. He listens to our show down in Atlanta all the time. And he says, hey, uh, Tanner hit it on the head. He said, tell him it was us. It was the Braves. So they wouldn't give the Yankees a day game on Wednesday. So the Yankees agreed to play a night game on Monday, which was originally a mutual off day. And they wanted an off day on the travel day to Oakland. That meant that we had to play Wednesday and Thursday off this week. That's crazy. Yeah. So there you go. Traveling from coast to coast, it messes things up. And that's what happened. There you go. Welcome to baseball in 2021. And you never know who's listening to this show, BK. Yeah, that's right. You never know. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Catching up with John Morris and uh, looking forward to seeing the atmosphere at uh, the Great American Ballpark. And I was just thinking, you know, now that Yachty has uh, made it official that next year is his final year, I wonder if anybody kind of claps a little bit and then he starts getting booed tonight. These people know. I mean, the yeah. fans know. You know what yeah. I mean? It'll be kind of fun to see what the atmosphere is like and coming off what we saw in Pittsburgh with not many people there at the ballpark. And there is some excitement around what's going on with the Reds, clearly, because uh, they have the second wild card. And it's a chance for them to essentially, I mean, if you would sweep this series, if you're the Reds, you bury the Cardinals. They're six and a half out with just under 30 to play even though there's three head-to-head. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And to do it at their ballpark, I think, makes it all the more fun, more exciting, because if if the Cardinals are able to go in there and pick up two out of three or even sweep this series, uh, that that sets you up pretty well moving forward. But the schedule is not what it once was, and now you're going to have to go up against the best of the best on the schedule. you got Milwaukee, the Dodgers, Cincinnati again. It doesn't get any easier from here. I mentioned this before, a BK, Dan McLaughlin with Brandon Kylie. One of the worst parts about not traveling with the club is not catching up with people that you love to see. And uh, one of those guys that I'd, I'd see either down in spring training or throughout the season is a former Cardinal was a just a heck of a pinch hitter, one of the toughest jobs in the game. He's a special assistant to the GM in Cincinnati, and the Brown and Brown Celebrity Line welcomes in a former Cardinal, John Morris. And uh, John, thanks for hopping on with us. We appreciate it. How are you? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to hear your voices. You got it. Uh, I want to go back though to your playing career, if we can first. 1985, you're traded for Lonnie Smith. You spent a, a good chunk of your career here in St. Louis. What was that time for for you and, and your family here in St. Louis? 
I love it, guys. I, I, you know, I've spent 40 years in professional baseball as a player, coach, manager, executive scout, and I, I got to be honest with you, uh, playing those those five years I had in St. Louis in the big leagues for Whitey Herzog and getting a chance to play in, in front of incredible fans and getting to play in the World Series was the most enjoyable time of my career. So uh, I'm forever grateful for the time I had, and uh, I, I love the St. Louis Cardinals. What do you think it would be like to be a pinch hitter if your role was to be a pinch hitter in 2021 with the specialization that we have, even though there's a three batter minimum, but these guys are all throwing 98 to 100. It seems like they got splitters. They got great change ups um, in your era. And then now fast forward to now. What do you think it's like to be a, a really a true, truly a great pinch hitter in the game of baseball? Get ready to hit the fastball. Yes. <laughs> that is that has not changed. These guys are coming and throwing gas. Uh, that has not changed. It seems like there's there's electricity coming out of the bullpen night after night. And if you're going to sit around and look for, for breaking stuff, and that first one is pumped right down the middle of the plate at 100, I, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. So not, none of that has changed. I, I think the specialization allows guys to – do a lot more homework in preparation coming off the bench, and uh, you, you certainly got to be ready, that's for sure. Hey, John, in your time in St. Louis, can you take us inside of that clubhouse, and in particular in that outfield group where you've got Vince Coleman and Willie McGee and Kurt Flood, or Ford rather, that you're, you're kind of working with on a day-to-day basis? What was that room like? It was incredible, guys. Um, you know, my hat is off to Whitey Herzog. He's a Hall of Fame manager. I love playing for him. And he did such a wonderful job on a daily basis creating an environment for us to thrive in. And one thing you know, people don't really talk about is, you know, we never had music in the clubhouse. And, and that was by design. Whitey loved having us create our own environment. So there was a lot of laughing. There was a lot of uh, joking and going around and practical jokes and guys talking to one another with, with no headphones on. And that was by design. And, and we got along incredibly well. Um, you know, we did it year after year. And I, I just loved being a part of that. And, and Whitey was just so good at, you know, putting all the bench guys in positions to succeed. He, he never overwhelmed us. If, you know, I, I had trouble hitting left-handed pitchers. So, he, he you know, he didn't start me against lefties. Or he, he would pick spots where he thought that maybe I could have success. And he was so good at doing that with everybody. He knew when to give the regulars an occasional off day. But for the most part, you know, Ozzy and Willie and Pendleton, they were, they were out there every day. It's interesting that you mentioned how Ozzy put guys in the, the position to, or Whitey put guys in the position to succeed. And we've had a lot of relievers from that time, whether it was the 82 team or 85, 87. And the relievers say, man, Whitey, would play out the game basically before the game was even played. And then when you think about your role many times of being a guy that comes off the bench, he's thinking about the matchups that you're going to face. So I I am curious, in games or before a series, did he come to you and say, hey, Johnny, be ready for this this guy, and they may counter with this guy, so be ready for that, or we're going to use you in the eighth, and if we do that, we're going to double switch here. I mean, did he do those kind of things, or did it just kind of happen, you know, all of a sudden, hey, get up, get ready, get ready to go? He never told me when to be ready, but you learned quickly uh, when you got there. We, we had some incredible coaches, Johnny Lewis, Dave Ricketts, Nick Leva, who were masterful at getting us ready for games. And usually that would start at 
three o'clock in the afternoon, we had a time out on the field where only the extra guys were allowed to take batting practice. And uh, that was for what we were called the bird turds. And we would be allowed to hit from three or four. And it was our time only. Uh, Willie and Ozzy need not come out. And that was our way of getting ready. And we would anticipate uh, scenarios and situations where we might be double switching. It might come in the sixth inning. It might come in the eighth inning. But I always knew who the righties were in the bullpen, uh, you know, whether it be for the Expos or the Mets or the Pirates. So I, I was never caught by surprise. Uh, the only thing I had to learn how to do was to do it at the very beginning of my career in 1986 when, you know, I had never done it up until that point being a regular player in AAA. So um, that was new to me, but you, you better learn quickly. John, I, I was reading a little bit about your time here in St. Louis in preparation for this interview, and I, I read a quote from you about your relationship with Willie McGee, and you said basically, my job in St. Louis was to keep Willie laughing. Can, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that? What was your relationship like with Willie McGee, who's, who's still around in St. Louis today on the coaching staff and is probably one of the most beloved members of the Cardinals community? Well, Willie is a very dear friend who I stay in regular contact with. Um, he is a dear sweetheart of a man. He, in my mind, he represents everything that's great about Cardinal baseball. He's talented. He's humble. He's insightful. He's thoughtful. He's a great teammate. He's, he's everything you want in a teammate. And I just remember when I came over to the Cardinals from Kansas city that he, he pulled me in very quickly, uh, and he said, all right, man, you're one of us now. And, and we became quick friends. And I sensed early on that, you know, Willie was always very hard on himself. Um, but for whatever reason, I had a way of making him laugh, whether it be my impersonation of him as a player, which was always done in a complimentary way. Uh, it, it made him laugh. And Whitey picked up on that. And Whitey always said to me, Johnny, your job is to keep Willie laughing. So keep doing what you're doing. So it's been a joy being his friend. I love him very much. Uh, I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, and um, I hope he does well for the, the remaining games absent the six that he has. <laughs> he, he is just a, he's just a prince of a guy. There's no question about it. Um, I was thinking about this as I was uh, – I get the privilege to emcee the, the Cardinals Hall of Fame every year, and, it, and it's awesome, and it's a great celebration, and you would love it, of, of seeing – these great guys that mean so much to whatever the fan is out there might be your favorite player. It could have been seat cushion night with Tommy her and your favorite moment, whatever. But I was thinking, man, these 80 teams are really good. And I'm not sure if we realized just how good they were. I think we do because it was entertaining. It was guys are running all over the place, but you had Tommy her, John Tudor, you got Ozzy, you got Willie, you got Pendleton, you got Clark, you got uh, Whitey Herzog, a Hall of Fame manager. You go back to 82, you had a closer in Suter, you had Keith Hernandez. I mean, there are great names from that 80s bunch. And when you're in the thick of it, John, I guess you don't realize how good you really are. But now that you reflect on it, do you think back, man, oh, man, these teams are loaded? Those teams were incredible. Uh, I think they would stack up very well today in today's modern game. Uh, I don't. I don't think uh, teams would be quite prepared for, for the speed element. It's really those eighty teams were a, a track team in baseball spikes. All all of them. And you know, when I look back at, at Tommy Herr and John Tudor, who were just inducted into the Cardinal Hall of Fame, and congrats to both of them. They were phenomenal teammates. They showed up ready to play every day. Tudor 
was just uh, an incredible pitcher and just loved watching him pitch in big games, especially against the Mets in 85 and 87. Uh, He always came up big in crucial situations, fabulous teammates and better people. John, final question that I had about that time here in St. Louis. Do do you have a memory, whether it be on the field, off the field, maybe it's something uh, that you guys did on the plane ride while you were traveling that sticks in your mind about how how special it was, not just to play with those guys, but to be teammates with them and friends with them at that time? Well, I I will say this. It's my favorite Cardinal memory. Um, It's 1987. It's late in the season. My father was was dying of uh, terminal lung cancer. And uh, with about two weeks left in the season, um, I think we had like a a game and a half lead on on the Mets who were charging hard. And my dad passed away, and I went home to New York to to bury him and to celebrate him. And when I came back, I had not played in in four or five days. And when I came back on a Sunday, uh, Whitey inserted me back into the lineup when he easily could have had, you know, seven other options to consider in the right field. And it's the only game in my major league career where I had four RBIs. And uh, I had three singles, I think, that day. And, and three feet to the left or the right, and Sean Dunstan catches all three of those balls. So I think magically my dad was directing those those line drive singles. And none of it would have happened had Whitey not had the insight that, you know, some sometimes – players do magical things in most difficult of circumstances. So I'm forever grateful for that moment and Whitey uh, inserting me into the lineup so that I could have that special day. That's phenomenal. That's all. I got goosebumps listening to you tell that story. John Morris is our guest. He's been kind enough to hop on. And I, I do want to ask you about your role now. You're special assistant to the GM in Cincinnati, and, and the Reds have a, a lead in the wild card. Describe your role and, and what you're doing right now for the Reds. Well, I'm in my 15th season with the Reds, and I really appreciate Wayne Krisky and Walt Chockety bringing me over to the Cardinals in 2006. It's been an amazing experience learning a lot about, you know, the modern baseball game and learning how to use technology and data and and iPads and looking at the game, uh, utilizing my eyes and my instincts. And I get to write a lot of reports. You You know, in our job, we have to love baseball and we have to love the computer and you have to be married to both. So um, watch a lot of games in spring training, but most of my focus is in the Northeast where I live in Connecticut. I'm watching a lot of the Mets, the Yankees in Boston and all their affiliates. And then, you know, make uh, writing up all the players that I see that the good ones and the not so good ones and submitting them to Cincinnati and in case trades are, are thought about or free agents or waiver claims. So, there's a lot that goes into it. It's a lot of fun. It's challenging. It's stimulating. And it's always nice when you get your opinion asked. John, I got to get your thoughts on the season that we've seen from Joey Votto because he's, he's put together an unbelievable second half. And Dan's talked about this regularly over the last few weeks in particular. It might be putting up a potential like MVP type of season in the National League. Uh, what's been your impression of Joey Votto's resurgence? And I, I think the big question that's starting to be asked now, maybe more than ever is, do you view him as more or less a lock for the hall of fame at this point? Well, in my mind, he's a definite hall of famer. Um, if you just look at the total body of work, he's, he's had an incredible career. I think if you asked him to evaluate what, what happened several seasons ago, he would probably tell you that, uh, you know, in his mid-30s, he was starting to maybe doubt his ability to 
to do certain things and maybe drive the ball with authority. And if you look at his setup in the, in the batter's box, it, you don't even have to look hard. He was very spread out. He was choking up a lot. He seemed content maybe putting the ball in play. And, and you look at him now, and he's, he's dangerous. He's 37 years old. He looks like a monster in the box. He's standing straight up. He's taking more chances. He's not afraid of striking out. Uh, and it's really great for Reds fans, and it's great for the Reds team that, to have him being such a threat in the batter's box on, a, on an at-bat to at-bat basis. Hey, John, uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on, sharing the stories of those great 80s teams. It's always fun, and best of luck uh, to you and the Reds uh, rest of the way after the Cardinals sweep them starting <laughs> tonight. You know, it's uh, that's the way it's got to happen. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for having me on, and you travel safe, and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. Hopefully it'll be a lot of great baseball for us. You got it. Thanks, John, so much. That is uh, John Morris, who was uh, always very well liked here in St. Louis. I, there's a couple things that he, I want to uh, get into before we go to a break, but Please. one was when he talked about his story with his father, and I've heard from so many guys, in, and I know what analytics do, and there's a place for them in the game. There is no doubt, but when I was listening to him tell that story, I thought the human element has been to an extent erased in the game where it says, okay, this guy, this matchup, this is why you do it. And I think there's a place for that, but also a place for saying, you know what, we're at a guy's hometown or we know that uh, his wife is and kids are in the stands and they haven't seen him play this year. Whitey used to do that all the time and find out little things on the personal side that had nothing to do with baseball and then insert that player in a lineup because he felt like he was going to get the most out of that player. It wasn't just an average game for them. Might have been for the other 25 guys, now 26-man roster, but 25 guys, but not for that guy. And so I'm putting him in there because I think I'm going on a hunch that there's going to be something special for that guy. And I think we've lost that too many times in baseball. And I also think in this day and age, when managers make moves and they don't work out, it's real easy to say, well, why would you do that because of this, this, and this, and this? The analytics say don't do that, and the numbers bear that out. And, yeah, that's true, but maybe I always say we don't know what's going on as a, on the human side inside that clubhouse, that dugout that day that make managers sometimes make moves that scratch your heads, and you go, why did he do that? It worked out, and sometimes you go, why did he do that, and it didn't work out. And this is part of the problem with the way, and I'm not going to go too far into it, but the, the way that media coverage has transitioned over the years as well. Whitey Herzog back in the day could have gone to the local media and said off the record, hey, just so you guys know, like, I know it might be a little weird that I'm using this particular matchup lefty against lefty. There's a reason why I'm doing this. Here's what it is. There was two of them that were covering him. It was Ricky and Rick and Rick and Keel. It was Rick Hummel on the road Mm -hmm. and Jack Buck and Mike Shannon. So that that group I'm putting as one. So they they would have those conversations all the time. Absolutely. And that doesn't happen as much anymore. And it's a shame. And it's part of why, like for you on the broadcast end, you can, without actually saying something specifically, sometimes you can kind of explain what, what the decision-making is that's going on in any uh, decision or for a guy like Derek Gould, who's covering the team day to day, Katie Wu, who we're going to have coming up at one o'clock on our show. Like th- these people that are covering the team can explain some of the decisions that might not otherwise make sense because they've had those conversations because they have that type of access. 
that does not exist the same way that it once did for a million different reasons, especially right now through the COVID era. Uh, and that that is a great deal of frustration for a lot of people that cover the sport. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm frustrated. You know, we, we don't travel and the best conversations I have with people are away from the ballpark. It's on a plane. It's on a bus. It's uh, at the coffee shop. It's at a restaurant, you know. Uh, it's after the games you run into people, you know, wherever you may be going to get something to eat and you sit down and you talk baseball and we don't have that right now. And that's really unfortunate because it's great insight into why they do the things that they do, which is my job. You also get a better grasp on personalities. For right? sure. When I, when I was in KC and I, it's tougher to cover day to day down here right now. But when I was in KC, I would be in the Chiefs locker room all the time. So I got to know those guys on a personal level in a way that you can't if you're not able to go into the locker room and see them in their atmosphere, right? You'd see who the guys were that were shooting hoops with the other guys. You'd see who the guys were that had no interest in talking to anybody and would just sit in front of their locker. Like, you get a better vibe for all of those different things. And uh, unfortunately, that just doesn't exist right now. Now, the other thing I wanted to say, and I'm glad you asked about Vado because I was. Um, so you took my thunder again. But anyway... Um, I'm fascinated watching Joey Votto. Like I've been covering this sport for almost 25 years, doing the Cardinal games. Okay, I'm f- I love the sport. I love getting into the the nooks and crannies of it. I just think the sport is beautiful and it's got its flaws. Don't get me wrong. This guy fascinates me. You know how hard it is to hit in baseball, Major League Baseball. It is hard, man. And he says one year, and eh, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to strike out. So what's he doing? I think he walked like 60 more times than he struck out. Now, in doing that, he sacrificed his power and sacrificed home runs. And then he comes back and says at the age of 37, ah, I, can't, I can't do that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit some home runs. So what's he do? He starts hitting bombs. Mm-hmm. That tells you how good this guy is and i just find him fascinating did man. you see his interview that he did with yes. jason stark recently it's great so for anybody that missed it i would highly recommend it because i can't do it do justice but he essentially said in the interview with jason stark you can find this on twitter you can find it on his podcast i was going through a very difficult time when his body was basically breaking down and he just he, he couldn't be the same batting average guy he couldn't be as consistent as he once was so he said, now what I do is I just go up there and I take hacks. Yeah. I'm just going for broke on every single swing. It's like, listen, I'm not going to hit 325 like I once did. It's just not going to be there for me. I can't get on base at quite the same rate that I once did because I'm going to be swinging more often. But when I connect, watch it's out. going over it's going over the wall and it's going to be for a homer. And he's like, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So <laughs> here's the question, though. If you're front office and you're paying him $25 million a year, which I think they are, or 30 whatever it is, and it's been for a long time, do you want to pay for what is an analytical darling of getting on base and walks and, you know, that, that situation? Or do you want the guy in the middle of your lineup and you say, yeah, I'll, I'll live with the strikeouts, um, but he's going to hit me 30 bombs? What do you want? This guy. I, I think I do too. And <laughs> yeah. it's a difference why they're winning games. Absolutely. And the other thing is like they have other good hitters in their lineup. So if you've got a guy like Jonathan India, who is essentially replacing the on-base percentage exactly. that you once had from Joey Votto. That's exactly right. Well, now you're great. This is the best of both worlds. I've got a guy that's getting on base. I've got a run producer in the middle of my lineup and Joey Votto. It's, it's exactly what they wanted it to be. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN.
This Mets situation is going to be interesting. Are the Mets in town tonight, by the way? Do you guys, have you seen a schedule? I don't uh, know if the Mets are in town. I can check real quick for you. So I'll start with some uh, simple news with them. They are. They're at home. Okay, it's going to be interesting tonight. Tomorrow night, though. Uh, They're up tonight. Noah Syndergaard, scratch from his rehab, started yesterday, test positive for COVID-19. Not good news. Over the weekend, they retired their uh, third number of a player, which is Jerry Kuzman, number 36. Then you had Javi Baez, who went after the fans, apparently, in his postgame. Well, that's Frank Cowan. I get booed. You know, it doesn't really get to me, but, like, I want, I want to let them know that when we success, we're going to do the same thing to to know how to, to let them know how, how it feels, you know, because if we win together, then we, we got to lose together, you know, and, and, and the fans are really a big part of it. So in my case, they, they got to be better. You know, I, I play for the fans and I love the fans, but if they're going to do that, they, they're just putting more pressure on the team. That's not that's not what we want. Is that a thumbs down to fans then? To let them know that, that when we when we don't get success, we're going to get booed. So. We, they're going to get booed when we, when we success. Okay, you can't win, Javi, period. End of story. You will not win against the fans. So for for people that didn't see it or, or see how it broke last night, I mean, it went, went nuts. Um, essentially, Lindor, Baez, others, that if they get on base and it's a positive thing, they do a sign towards the dugout, and it's a thumbs down. And as you heard, it's towards the fans. GM Sandy Alderson, his response to those comments and the thumbs down to the fans, quote, totally unacceptable and will not be tolerated. Mets fans are understandably frustrated over the team's recent performance. This is from a statement. The players and the organization are equally frustrated, but the fans at City Field have every right to express their own disappointment. Booing is every fan's right. The Mets will not tolerate any player gesture that is unprofessional in its meaning or is directed in a negative way towards the fans. Alderson also said that he plans to meet with the players and staff to explain his message directly. Good for him. I agree with it. Um... I'll tell you what, man, you, you buy a ticket, you've got the right to go in there and boo, cheer, dance, scream, uh, wear the favorite jersey of your player, whatever. You don't have a right to throw things at players. That's terrible. Can't do that. But you can boo, and uh, you're going to get that in New York, Javi. Yeah, what do you think he was signing up for when he got traded to the Mets? So can you, uh, you know, you make that trade with him thinking, okay, we're going to maybe catch a spark with him. He's going to help our lineup. He, he's going to help when Lindor was out. He can play multiple positions at a high level, gold glove level. He's going to walk into a bunch of home runs. But um, I got to wonder, advancing the story, can you bring him then, depending on how these final four weeks pan out, can you bring him back on a long-term deal? No. That'd be awfully tough to do. You've got 12 more years with Lindor, who is apparently a part of this. And I, I've done plenty of Mets games. They boo. That's just the culture of what you get when you go to either Yankee or, or City Field, Yankee Stadium or, or City Field. And here's the thing, man. You will never win in the court of public opinion when you go against the fans. 100% never, ever will you win. It's a terrible look. Terrible. And also, I, I have to imagine, and I saw Buster Olney tweeted this out, and he got a little bit of pushback. I actually tend to agree with him. I can't imagine this helps his free agent claim either. Like, if you're another team that is looking at potentially signing Javi Baez this offseason, there were already a million different questions that you would have about potentially signing him long term. Most notably, the strikeouts. Strikeouts are a huge problem for him. On the season, he has 153 strikeouts and 18 walks. That's an issue. If you add into th that issue, 
Now there's a little bit of a, hey, what's it going to be like for our fan base if this goes poorly? Like if he starts hitting 240, for example, like he is right now with an on-base percentage below 300. I think as he's hitting, been, isn't he hitting below two? At last check, he was hitting below 200 at like middle of last week with the Mets. 210 now with the Mets. Okay. Um, on the season, he's at 242. If that ends up being the guy that somebody else signs, fans are not going to be thrilled and he will be booed. What's that going to be like for him in his new place? Like it, it's a mess right now for him, for the Mets, for this entire situation. So you agree with me? I mean, you, as a fan, you have the right to do what you want. Sure. You yeah, I, I got no issue as long as it doesn't cross a line. That's what course. I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, if you want to boo or cheer, that's your right. Absolutely. And you're paying for those tickets. You have the right to be able to express your dissatisfaction with the team. And you don't think you're going to get that in all places, New York? Come on. That's terrible, man. It's that, also it's terrible. It's a reminder as to the sensitivity for certain guys. It's not the entire sport, but there are certain guys who have become almost too sensitive in a lot of ways to what is being said, what is being written, what is being tweeted to them, what is put on their Instagram DMs, all of these different things. Man, if that is going to bother you, you are not going to last in this game. It, no. it will mess you up mentally if you are that frail that booing at a stadium is going to get inside of your head, especially from your own fans. My so God. Very quickly, uh, let's take a look at the wild card again. If you just tuned into the show, we talked about it. The Cardinals lose a heartbreaker yesterday, split with the Pirates and the Marlins helping out the Cardinals. There he goes. 3-2 coming and Sanchez down the line. If it stays fair, it's long gone. And it's long with a two-run shot in the first inning, and the Marlins break through early again. 3-1 would be the final. They beat the Reds, so the Cardinals start three-and-a-half back of Cincinnati. What about the Padres? Here's a drive to right field for Walsh. This will send Myers back at the wall, and that ball is gone. Home run for Jared Walsh, his 24th of the year. The Angels jump on top, one to nothing. That was on Saturday. 10-2 would be the final, so the Padres are, what, two-and-a-half out now? Two and a half, what is it? Game no. and a half back. Yeah. Game and a half, excuse me. Game and a half back. Cardinals three and a half. And what about the Phillies? Line drive out to center field. Marte coming on, and it's off his glove. And it goes about 20 feet behind him. Galvis will score. Marshawn going to third. And the Phillies get an insurance run. It's a 6-4 game. And the Phillies now... Uh, they take three of four, and their schedule is soft, beginning with San Diego. They've got like 24 in a row against teams under 500, 24 of their 27 or something like that. So watch out for the Phillies. Yeah, they've got Washington for the next three days at Washington. That should be a series they can make a little bit of uh, headway with. Then they've got Miami, Milwaukee for three, and then Colorado. So they've got some some easier opponents coming up on their schedule. And you have three hours of gold coming up. Yeah, something Radio like that. Radio gold. Uh, coming up at 1 o'clock, as I mentioned earlier, we've got a Cardinals insider from The Athletic, Katie Wu. We want to talk to her about the Alex Reyes situation, what her perspective was on the weekend as a whole. But we're going to get things started. By the way, Alex Ferrario is officially back in today. He was all, out all of last week. He'll be back today from vacation. We're going to start out with uh, the comment that I thought was most interesting from Mike Schilt. It was the second time in the last week he said, we just don't have a large margin for error. Let's get into that a little bit. We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. 
Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.